Having completed our sermon series through the book of Hebrews, we have three weeks now until the first Sunday in Advent. And so the plan is to preach on a few different topics pertaining to the upcoming holiday season. With Thanksgiving just around the corner, uh, we figured it might be a good time to have a refresher on Thanksgiving or gratitude, uh, not just as a good civic virtue, but as a foundational Christian virtue. And in fact, gratitude is one of our church's core values. It's something we want to be really intentional about cultivating, a culture of gratitude. We want to be a grateful community, a thanksgiving community. And to be clear, when, when I talk about thankfulness and gratitude, I'm not just talking about feeling grateful feelings. I'm talking about a a general disposition by which we perceive more and more of the divine blessing that we are always, moment by moment, receiving. And so to begin, I want to reiterate something I said last week. We talked about the Hebrew word shalom, which refers to a condition of law and order that results in the blessing of prosperity and societal wholeness. Shalom is a state of holistic human flourishing. Peace, security, love, health, happiness. Shalom is God's vision for the world. And the Bible insists that shalom is actually possible. In fact, the Bible insists that shalom is inevitable. However, the the church, we, are not simply called to cast a vision of shalom. We are called to be a visible manifestation of shalom. Our life together is meant to confirm the validity of the Bible's vision, God's vision for our world. Our life together is meant to prove that shalom really is possible. With that, let's turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. A bit of context. uh, In Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is presented as the preeminent one, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And through him, we are made holy and blameless, provided we hold fast and continue in the faith. That sounds very similar to the book of Hebrews. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we have been united to Christ. We exist as one body with Jesus as the head. And this means that just as Jesus died and was raised, so we have died, and so we have been raised. The church, the, the church collectively and each of the individuals in the church are united to Jesus. We are individually new creations, and we are participants in the new creation. We have died to the old world, and we have been raised with Jesus into a new and heavenly world. And so chapter 3 teaches us to, to seek after heavenly things, new creation things, We are called to clothe ourselves in the clothes of the new creation. We should take off those old earthly things and put on those new heavenly things. 
Chapter three, verse 12. Put on then, clothe yourselves as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The Apostle Paul lists a number of Christian virtues, and so really this sermon could go in a number of different directions. Um, But for our purposes today, I want to zero in on the verses that follow what we just read, 15, 16, and 17. Let the peace of Christ, once again, that's, that's the Greek word for shalom. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Notice, the the peace of Christ is not something we conjure up. The shalom of Christ is an objective thing. It has already entered into the world. And so the question is not whether we can establish the shalom of Christ. The question is whether or not we will permit the shalom of Christ to rule over us. We can either resist the rule and reign of Christ's shalom and then watch our community fall apart, or we can submit to the rule and reign of Christ's shalom and grow into that visible manifestation of the validity of God's vision for the world. Okay, so so what does it mean? What does it look like for us to submit to the rule and reign of Christ's peace? There can be no shalom where Christians are unwilling to subordinate their own desires to the priority of peace. This means that I must treasure the peace of Christ, the shalom of Christ, more highly than my own comfort, more highly than my own pride or reputation, more highly than my own preferences, more highly than my own bank account more highly than my own petty grievances. It means that I prioritize love and forgiveness over getting my way. And as it says in verse 15, it means that I cultivate thankfulness. Let the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. In the Greek, the verb there indicates a process. This is an ongoing responsibility. So so rather than be thankful, we could say, keep becoming thankful. Keep becoming thankful. Again, it's a process. We are called to become increasingly grateful people. And this growth in gratitude is entirely without regard to our life circumstances. The Apostle Paul wrote this from prison. And so our growth and gratitude has has nothing to do, really, with the relative joy or sorrow of our present circumstances. 
whether in joy or sorrow, God is always good and gracious. His steadfast love endures forever. And so we always have room to grow in gratitude. Moving on, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In short, when we gather together for worship to sing and to be taught and to hear from the word of Christ, we should worship with thankful hearts. Thankful hearts. That's verse 16. Worship with thankful hearts. But whereas verse 16 calls us to be thankful as we gather for worship, verse 17 expands that, calls us to be thankful every waking moment. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So yes, we we ought to worship with thankfulness in our hearts. But really, we ought to live our entire lives with thankfulness in our hearts. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a fourth Thursday in November thing. It's an every waking moment thing. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything with thanksgiving. That word is Eucharist. It's the, it's the name the early church gave to the Lord's Supper. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything with thanksgiving. All of life is meant to be a Eucharist. So why does, why does Paul mention thankfulness three verses in a row? Why, why is gratitude so important? It's because the foundational posture of the Christian life is receptive. We receive God's grace. And the only proper response to that grace is gratitude. One theologian even went so far as to say that gratitude is the essence of what it means to be truly and genuinely human. Thankful people are well on their way to becoming everything Colossians 3 calls us to be. Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient. Thankful people find it much easier to bear with others and to forgive others. Thankful people are easier to love. And thankful people find it easier to love others. And for the record, social science backs up the Bible here. One study out of UC Berkeley describes gratitude as the social glue that fortifies friendships, family relationships, marriages, and even society as a whole. Giving thanks is a booster shot for your relationships. Sorry, too soon for that metaphor? All right. If if your marriage is stuck in, in a downward spiral of resentment, gratitude can transform it into a an upward spiral of charity and love. In any relationship, expressing and experiencing gratitude leads to greater connection and satisfaction. In addition, studies show that grateful people report better physical health, 
They eat healthier. They have lower blood pressure, more energy, more relaxed, fewer headaches, fewer digestion issues, fewer respiratory infections. Grateful people are less likely to experience shortness of breath, muscle soreness, dizziness. They sleep better. They are less likely to experience depression. So yeah, gratitude is a good thing and it's good for you. But unfortunately, our society does not encourage this. Our society does not encourage gratitude. In fact, I I believe we're living in some sense in an age of ingratitude, an age of thanklessness. We do not honor our father and mothers, much less our grandfathers and grandmothers. We resent previous generations. It's like our, our society is stuck in this cycle of perpetual adolescence. We are grown-up teenagers who think that this generation is the one that's figured it all out. We attack and, and disparage the, the very institutions that give us the freedom and prosperity we enjoy. Rather than being grateful for our freedom and prosperity... And then rather than using it to bless other people like Jesus, we have to pretend like we're sorry for it. Everywhere you turn, there's another tweet or blog or book attempting to convince you that something about your life is less than it could be. Advertising is constantly whispering in your ear. There's this thing that highly attractive and highly successful people have, and you don't, but your life would be complete if you did. And so advertising is designed to make you discontent, to make you ungrateful. And granted, no family is perfect. And previous generations did make mistakes. And some institutions are corrupt. And some things are less than they could be. But we cannot allow those realities to blind us to the blessings we enjoy now. Blessings for which we ought to be thankful every waking moment. We need to recognize that that gratitude does not sell books or attract page views. Gratitude will not build you a platform. And so the cards are stacked against us, culturally speaking. Anyone who desires to cultivate this this life of gratitude is going to be swimming upstream. For many of us, cultivating gratitude will require a change in perspective and a resolute determination to experience all of life as a divine gift. All of life. The most joyful people in the world are the people who receive everything, both the good and the bad, as a divine gift. The most joyful people in the world are the people who experience every moment, good or bad, as a reason to be and an opportunity to be thankful. In the words of one philosopher, as as he was dying of cancer, coming close to death, you begin to know what life means. And what it means 
is gratitude. Coming close to death, you begin to know what life means, and what it means is gratitude. It sure, it sure seems to me like the Apostle Paul would agree with some version of that statement. According to Paul, love is the highest of all the Christian values, but he, he apparently understood that we will struggle to love if we are ungrateful. And that's why there's a table, a table called Thanksgiving, at the very center of our faith. So I've said this in a, in a previous sermon, but I want to I renew the challenge. This week, try to pause and make yourself present to and, and aware of the grace of God and the gift of life at least as frequently as you pick up your phone. It can be a split-second prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father. But the point, the point is to open yourself up to perceive more and more of the divine blessing that you are always, moment by moment, receiving. May the shalom of Christ rule in our hearts. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you pour out your grace upon us incessantly. Help us to see that and be aware of it and to give thanks. Jesus, you have established your peace, your shalom. Teach us thankfulness and love and and let your shalom rule over us. Holy Spirit, inspire our words and inspire our deeds that everything we do might be done in the name of the Lord Jesus with thankfulness in our hearts toward God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.